Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi everybody, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. Um, My name is Mario. I just want to acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nation whose land we are broadcasting from. Um, So on today's show, we've got our special guest in the studio, um, May. So May is a freelance photographer, youth delegate for Create Foundation, and a trainee at the HHS. Welcome, May. So we connected because I was looking for a young person to come on and just to kind of talk about the experiences of chronic illness and stuff. Yeah. A big shout out to Youth Disability Advocacy Service for hooking us up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And um, I know you were really young when you became chronically ill. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'm 24 years old. I'm from Melbourne. Mel- God, that sounded really Aussie. <laughs> uh, yeah, born and bred um, Australian. And I am a photographer. Well, no, I just do photography online and portraiture and that sort of stuff. And I also just am a massive social media nerd and all of that lovely things. And, yeah, I've been chronically ill my entire life, or as I like mm. to say, like, yeah, just been sick, <laughs> invisible, invisibly sick. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 20. So I've been sick my entire life. But it took until I was 20 years old for anyone to kind of actually be like, oh, you know, yeah, she's actually got something wrong with her. She's not just mentally insane. So wait, are we talking like since you was know of yourself or are we talking? Yeah, kind of- well, like all I can kind of say is like, I don't remember a day without being in pain. Yeah, so right. when I was a kid, I would remember like how as a kid, like every day or every night I was covered in deep heat and taking like um having like lots of heat packs and electric blankets on my bed like up to the like highest temperature because I had to have like insane heat to be not in pain and I used to just have to do all these crazy things and I remember um as a kid like you know my mum and dad obviously they didn't really know what else to do so I was taking things like Panadine Fort at mm. you know eight nine ten years old because I was in, you know, excruciating amounts of pain crying and I used to get sick all the time with just, like, things like gastro and colds because I just had, like, the most crappy immune system. But, yeah. So what impact did it have on you to kind of experience all this stuff and not really know what's going on? Uh, Mentally, it had a really shit time. I was going to (laughs) say. Like, because I didn't know what was going on. I just... It got contributed to, you know, like how like doctors, when you're young, they just say, oh, it's just growing pains. Mm. She's just having growing pains, like because her legs are growing and her arms are growing or whatever. But when it kind of got to like 14, 15, and I was, you know, really struggling with pain, I think, I don't remember how old I was. I was either like 16 or 17, but I collapsed at school. And I, yeah, I collapsed, I collapsed at school and basically just 
I went to the doctors at the children's and my my grandmother and my auntie were there and they kind of like pushed and pushed and mm. I I remember being put on like really intense pain meds because nothing was working um, and then they finally convinced the doctors to like admit me and just test me for things and just see if there was anything going on because yeah. it was such a struggle but still like at that age and at the children's they kind of just like wanted to put me in the psych ward yeah so wow yeah. so your physical symptoms they kind of put down to mental yeah mental illness, they did right? well because i have um post-traumatic stress disorder right. from uh growing up in a very like domestic you know bad not great household yeah as a kid so i have that and i have depression and anxiety mm. from all of those issues and so they just contributed to that right and when it just got worse and worse as i got older and especially once you hit like major puberty and things just mm. go all over the place and it just got to the point where i was so over it and so sick and tired that i think it was like one Late a.m. morning, my nan takes me to the emergency room for the millionth time mm. and I just said to the doctors, you can either admit me or call the cops because, like, I'm not leaving Wow! You by either admission and you actually try and figure out what the hell's going on with me. And this was when I was, like, 20, mm. so 2015, and figure it out or call the cops because I'm not leaving. <laughs> like, I'm so sick and tired of this. Mm. And they, I guess, like, the doctor on, on board was like, oh, I don't want to call the cops, okay, I'm just going to admit her. <laughs> so they admitted me and, you know, within a few days I went from having nothing wrong with me to, like, six different diagnoses. Jeez. Yeah. Took them long enough, but they did it. <laughs> was that a relief or was that just overwhelming to kind of um, have It that? was a relief but also overwhelming mm. because suddenly it wasn't like a – Maybe I have something. Maybe is it in my head? It was like, no, it's not in my head. Oh mm. my god, it's actually real. Yeah. How the hell did all this get caused? What happened? What's in my body? What's wrong with me? Mm. Is it, you know, just a development in my like issues, or was I born with it? What, why is it suddenly coming up now? Like, yeah. what is it that did this? And it ended up being contributed or to a genetic disorder that my entire family has. Yeah. And that we've taken years and years to try and get diagnosed and yeah. get kind of noticed for because it is such a like invisible disability mm. and um, it's still not very well known to doctors to this day. Like we, so many people try and advocate for it, even though like I think it's like fifty five thousand Australians have it, mm. mostly women. Um, but like my brother has it as well. Like we just all of us kind of yeah. are stuck with it. So, yeah. Um, I feel like chronic illness is just asking questions about your body that you don't understand. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, that's a good way of putting yeah. it. Um, so in kind of the preparation for this show, um, you really yeah. wanted to talk about the impact that chronic illness has had on your relationships. Yeah. So um, I'll leave yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know where to go with it or how to start, but like you were asking about, you know, topics and yeah. I was like, well, if I'm going to talk about it, I may as well just talk about the ones that seem to be, um, I guess you can, can consider taboo mm. um, just because they are such, like people don't want to go down that road when you talk about chronic illness because it's like, it's such a big trigger for everyone or like in the sense that like you have the people who are opinionated in in um that you know it doesn't 
matter and it doesn't cause anything. But then there are people like me that are like, oh, and it contributed to a lot of what's happened with my friends or with my family or with um, past, like, relationships with boyfriends or people I was just dating and whatever. Um, And I just feel like it's a massive contributor to that. So can you give an example of what you kind of mean by that? Um, Well, yeah. um, I guess, like, with family is a big one. Like, I mean, there's not one thing I could list, but it's definitely damaged Mm. a lot and it's caused a lot of pain and a lot of struggle and um, toxic, like really like toxicity. And it's hard to kind of describe because, you know, it's just going off how I feel and what I've seen and what I've experienced Mm. and not necessarily knowing if the other person feels it, but you can clearly see that there's, like, toxicness, yeah. like, toxicity in there um, mixed around. Obviously, like, everybody loves each other and everybody mm. cares and we all care for each other. But, like, my me getting sick, I, I feel, and also growing up in the care sector, like, I came from kinship care, um, you know, like, it just played a huge part in how my relationships with my family Mm. are these days and how I struggle to keep what to want. Like, how do I, like, the like struggling to want to keep those relationships. relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Is that about kind of feeling not understood by kind of family and stuff? Well, I definitely think I'm understood because, like, they have it or, like, Mm. there are a lot of people in my family that feel the same and have gone through similar issues. Mm. But I feel like... Um, over time you start to get whether it's like jealous or mad or angry or resenting the other person because mm. you feel like they've brought you down or you've brought them down mm-hmm. or you've let them down or you've ruined something and it can get really just all entangled into like this one big mess because it's you're not just a niece and an auntie anymore or a granddaughter and a grandma you're a you know um, for me especially like growing up in care you are now the person that they're caring for in the sense of, you know, like a, with the government and being in the care system. Mm. At, but you're also like they're the ones looking after your medication or helping right. you with your medication. They're the ones that are like been up with you till, till 4, 5, 6 a.m. at hospitals. Right. And it just all builds up over time. So and, the stress that it puts on it all. Yeah, yeah, like the stress. And I don't know, like sometimes I feel like family members hold resentment against me now right. because of everything that they did for me and yeah. um you know it just it's hard yeah it's hard on everyone you mentioned friends as well and i remember mm. for myself growing up um pretty sick i always felt a bit out of step with the rest of my peer group yeah. <laughs> at a young age oh, like hugely. what's that like for you yeah um <clears throat> for me it was definitely not easy I a lot of my friends didn't really understand why I would like make a date with them and then cancel on the day, mm. or um, if like there was like parties to go to in high school and <laughs> dances to go to or um, things were happening, and it's like, well, why say you're going and then not be able to go and not be able to commit to anything? Mm. And I'm like, well, because I want to go <laughs> and I'd love to, but having something that can make you completely fine and okay one minute to suddenly being 
curled up in bed, hunched mm. over, crying her eyes out yeah. because you're in so much extreme pain and you can't lift a finger. Mm. Like, it's how, like, how do you explain that? Like, you can't. You can't even... All you can do is describe it. And my, you know, I have my ways of describing things, but they don't feel it. They don't see it. They don't experience it themselves. Yeah. So how are they meant to understand why you suddenly can't come to an event or mm. be a part of something? And I've grown and gotten used to that. And I just don't talk to those people anymore. And yeah. if like they don't understand, then they don't understand. Yeah. They're not going to, or they're not going to want to. So there's no point in in like trying to grow that friendship but I have people in my life now who are um who are really really amazing and who have been amazing yeah and I mean one of them's listening to the show right now hi Deanna (laughs) if you can hear me (laughs) um yeah you know I created a whole new sort of friendship and people that um do actually care and do understand so if I do have to cancel or be like hey can can we maybe just sit on the couch and watch a movie? Yeah. <laughs> they, they know and they understand and they're okay with that. Yeah. Um, did that take a bit of time to kind of build up that network for yourself? Hell yeah. Yeah. Or I is mean, it still going? Cause... It's still going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are still friends to this day who don't get it mm. and I'm still kind of friends with them, obviously, but they, it's still hard for me to describe it um, or understand it. You know, but you know, I I'm surviving and I'm doing yeah, yeah, the yeah. best I can, and I've got my amazing boyfriend of almost three years this year. Go us! I, I, <laughs> um, I, it's a big achievement for me because <laughs> I never thought I would get a boyfriend in the first place. So it's just nice. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So it's it's better than it was. Yeah, that's definitely for sure. Yeah, great. Um, you've kind of already talked about this a little bit mm. in terms of. Um, seeing a lot of doctors growing up and stuff like that. Yeah. But what's been your experiences in dealing with doctors and specialists and the uh, whole huge <laughs> yeah, healthcare the, system? That Oh, well, the healthcare system in general sucks. Yeah. And just to get anything nowadays, you have to kind of get in private health insurance, which I'm on now. You know, I reluctantly went on it after, you know, finding out that the treatment and one of the only treatments that really work for me is no longer available in the public health care system. Mm. And now I'm on a waiting list for 12 months. Of course you are. Um, well, it's it's that whole sense of like, well, you can get on private health insurance, but you have to wait 12 months before we're going to pay for anything. Right. Yeah. So that's going to take its time, but it's worth it to me now. I realise the worth of private health insurance, especially mm. when it comes to this, um, uh, this uh, treatment, it's going to be worth it in the end to just deal and wait the 12 months because in the end it will help me so, so much. Mm. Um, But doctors in in general have been pretty crap. (laughs) Um, I felt like for a long time it just felt like people were thinking I was crazy when I wasn't. I I had things going on. They were just invisible to the eye because none of it comes up in normal tests or um, shows up in your bloods like Doctors go looking straight for issues in your bloods or in your cultures or whatever. They Mm. don't go looking at what's going on in your skin or what's going on in your heart rate and Mm. all of that. And, yeah, it just was a massive frustration and I'm still angry to this day at some doctors. Yeah. But I'm also very thankful for others and they have done what they can. I think sometimes doctors 
don't necessarily know where to go or what to do. And so they just, they do what they can. And then if they can't do any more, that's it. Yeah. But it, um, it does make it a struggle. And I feel like that connects back to the whole like families and relationships mm. and friends, mm. toxic stuff, because like they witness that as well, especially a family, if they're there in the appointments yeah. and stuff and they see it and they get annoyed and they get frustrated because they like, can't, why can't they just do anything? And we talk about power imbalances on this show a lot mm. and just thinking you as a young person in that kind of environment the power imbalance would be huge well, yeah, in terms of adults thinking yeah. they know best for you and all that stuff yeah, yeah definitely and you know obviously um doctors for years didn't want to put me on like really strong pain medications because of that and being such a young kid and I understand that now these days and I get it and it makes sense but at the same time I think to myself like what if, like, I had the help back then? Would I have been? I, I have, would it have taken as long as it mm-hmm. has now, and and struggled as much as it, I have? Like, it's just like all those what if sort of things. Yeah. And I try not to let them control me because if I just kept thinking of the what ifs, then I would be sitting there all day getting nothing done Absolutely. with my life. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Um. So you're a youth delegate for Create Foundation. Can yes. you talk a bit about what Create Foundation is for those that don't know and just yep. around kind of your experiences around that? Yeah, so Create Foundation is a non-for-profit organisation who work with DHHS mm. in the care sector. They work with the kids that are in care, so whether that's foster, adoption, kinship like mine, which kinship basically means living with a family member that's not your biological parent. Yeah. Um, Residential care, so where you live out independently in the segregated housing facilities. Um, And basically they're there to help young kids from zero to 25 how to public speak, how to, uh, you know, advocate for themselves when it comes Mm. to their carers and comes to their social workers and things like that. And um, they do a lot of... Uh, organizations and um, round tables with DHHS so they'll bring us in and and sit and we'll look over things that Mm. they're wanting to change or wanting to make new reforms or stuff and we'll look over it and be like yeah well that's that's great but this is stupid so just get rid of that (laughs) because it's not going to do anything for you in the long term. Um, So from what I understand Create are also really huge advocates for for kids and stuff that are in care. Huge. And huge. can often be like a voice for those kids. When, yeah, and you know. they also teach you to have a voice. Yeah, like which is amazing. When, when I first went to them, I had no voice and I didn't know how to public speak and I like didn't want anything to do with it. But they are like my lifelong saviours. Yeah. You know, like if it weren't for them, I don't think I would be or have the passions that I do now. Yeah. So we could spend probably a few hours talking about this, <laughs> yeah. um, but we know that the out-of-home out of care system can be very... Controversial. Controversial. <laughs> people, a lot of people would say it doesn't work very well. Mm. Um, there's lots of issues with it. Yeah. Um, in two minutes, what do you think needs to happen in that space? Oh, gosh, if I was to cut it down to two minutes. <laughs> um, well, I was just recently a part of a, a, part of a um, carer strategy panel mm. about what to change when it comes to carers and kids yeah. and how to fix all that. And 
basically what I said in that and what I can say here is that there just needs to be more support for both of them. Because if the carer doesn't have the support, if the carer doesn't realise that they have the supports and the necessary outlets and um, things that they can go to and get help for, then the kid's not getting the help because the carer doesn't know what to do and yeah. doesn't isn't getting that support that they need to support the child and then the, therefore the child doesn't feel supported by either the carer or the workers yeah. or DHHS in general. So it's about finding that balance between what is allowed and what isn't and what can be added in, what can be taken out mm. and, yeah, finding a balance between carer, child, DHHS in a whole sense. Yeah. And I feel like um, I feel like from my just from what I know from it, I haven't got lived experience of it, but mm. it just seems to be unstable in terms of often young people and kids just get, there's lots of different changes, there's lots yeah. of different placements and stuff like that. There's all there's a lot, there can be a lot of different changes. I was lucky in, in the sense that I got put in kinship care and I had family members who great. put up their hand and said, yeah, we'll, we'll look after her. Yeah. Um, and that was really great. But even in kinship care, like I still had so much going on and so many different issues and, um, if it weren't for Create Foundation, I probably wouldn't have found out a lot of the stuff that I'm what that I was allowed mm. or that I was um, entitled to. Yeah. Because um, I felt like back then anyway, DHS liked to hide it. They they like to not tell you things. Yeah. Because it's better that way. Because then you know it's cheaper and they're not spending the money on on the things right. that you are technically allowed, like a bed, <laughs> like getting an actual bed frame and yeah. a mattress. You know, All the extravagant like, stuff, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I my first bed came from a family friend. Wow. Um, so it was just by luck. Um, mm. But when I found out that I was allowed those things, then it became a lot easier and I learned kind of how to advocate and say, no, we do need this. We do need this sort of funding. And Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so this is a bit related to that, but employment yeah, um, I feel like everybody who's got a chronic illness has stories around employment <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, what's been your experience? My experience has been shit house till this yeah. year, to be honest. Um, I I only recently just got my first ever real job. Yeah. You know, I'm now a I'm what's called a yes trainee at DHHS in the uh, family and children's services sector, which is my dream job. Like, I want to be working in that area, specifically kinship care reform at some point. Mm. But it's my dream. And I finally got that because DHS is so disability friendly and all about supporting people with differences and mm. things that are different about them. Mm. And if I hadn't found that out or if I hadn't gotten that option, I don't know if I have a job yet. Because most regular jobs, they want someone who's able-bodied, someone that's able to move, someone that's able to carry heavy things, someone that they don't have to change mm. things around for in the office. And so for a long for a long time, it was a lot of get an interview, they like you, they think you're really cool, then they find out that you're sick and that you have this issue with you and they go, oh, yeah, let's just not call her back. Yeah. And that, that always the decision of how much do I say and how much do I not say and all that stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. A, and it got to the point where I was like, maybe I should just not say anything at all. Yeah. But then if I didn't say anything, 
you know, I didn't want to lie. Yeah. I, I don't want people, like, you don't want to lie at an interview just because you want to get a job. Yeah. I'd rather them actually want me there. Absolutely. Illness and all. Yeah. Than not. I'm with you. Yeah. But it means that it can sometimes be really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, May we've run out of time. That's okay. <laughs> That's gone really quickly. I know. Um, I could sit here and talk for ages. Um, thank you for coming in. Yeah. Thanks so much. Definitely. Um, just for listeners out there, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, so that our Twitter handle is at chilled underscore 3CR. Um, so May, I got you to to um, pick a song <laughs> yeah. to finish the show with today. So do you want to introduce it? Yeah. Um, so the song that I ended up picking was Amanda Palmer's Runs in the Family. Uh, a lot of people may be sick of that song, but for me it has a massive connection because it runs in the family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love this song. My friend has problems with winter and autumn They give him prescriptions They shine bright lights on him They say it's genetic They say he can't help it They say you can catch it But sometimes you're born with it My friend does bite He gets shakes in the night And they say that there's no way That they could have caught it In time takes its toll on him It is traditional It is inherited predisposition All day I've been wondering What is inside of me Who can I blame for it? I say it runs in the family The family carries me To such great lengths To open my legs up to what he wants She's a wreck, she's a must They've done all sorts of tests And they guess it has something to do With our grandmothers, grandmothers, grandmothers Civil War soldiers who finally infected her My friend has maladies, rickets and allergies That she dates back to the 17th century Somehow she manages in her misery Strips in the city and shows all the best tricks With me, well, I'm well, well, I mean I'm in hell Well, I still have my health, at least that's what they tell me If wellness is this one in hell's name is sickness But business is business and business runs in the back See now look what I've done but don't blame me because I can tell where I come from And running is something that we've always done well And mostly I can't even tell what I'm running from Run from the pity, from responsibility Run from the country and run from the city I can run from the lot, I can run from myself I can run from my life, I can run into debt I can run from it all, I can run till I'm gone I can run from the youngest and run from the cause I can run using every last ounce of energy I cannot, I cannot, I cannot run from my life Bienvenidos a nuestra completada bailable. 
cada miércoles en su radio comunitaria 3CR. Los ricos ingredientes de nuestros completos son análisis, arte y cultura, poesía y música. Presentado y cocinado por Carla Otone, Gabriela González, Grace Amigo, Marta Ávila y Pilar Aguilera. Ahora échese para atrás y disfrute.